Well, this, this week, as I mentioned, our young people, um, you ready? No. You've got this blank stare at my son. Actually, come up here. You don't have to talk, but come up here. Um, so the youth went to a conference this week, and, and, and each year we do this. We love to see our youth be able to get a chance to do this. I'm just having to come up here because I'm proud of them. This is my son, Caleb. Come up here. For all to see. <laughs> Doesn't he look sleepy? <laughs> they, uh, they had a great weekend, and I know that um, God ministered to a lot of our youth, and he spoke to them and really put things on their hearts. He and I, we get a chance to spend a lot of time in the car together, and, and uh, you nervous? Your heart's beating. <laughs> oh, are you awake? Um, and I know that he's got a heart for the things of the Lord, and I know that's not just him, but uh, I, I love him, and I wanted to show him off, but, um, but I just know that God's going to use our young people because this city and our young people of this city need to know, as we say in our, in our mission statement of the church, they need to know the reality of God's love because they don't know true love. They're missing out, and God's going to use people like this now, not someday, but in the now, to reach young people for the Lord. Thank you, bud. So I'm still trying to debate on what to preach on this morning, but uh, I've got a lot, I've always got a lot to say, just whether or not it has meaning is the issue. The... um, We've been, I've been preaching on promises, and that God's promises, because of His very nature, are always going to be fulfilled. He can never say something and then recant what He's saying. I once counseled somebody that's, that was going down this path, and everything God was doing in their life was leading them this direction. And so they kept walking that direction, walking that direction, and all of a sudden they felt, oh, God's telling me to go do this. Well, see, God doesn't contradict Himself. And so my counsel was, look for confirmation before you stop going the direction you've been heading in. Because God won't contradict himself. Will God redirect your paths at times? Absolutely. But if, if, if God's showing you something that's in direct contradiction to what's been going on in your life, check it out first. Don't just buy in wholeheartedly because you need to make sure you're hearing from the Lord on that. But when God promises, he will always, because of his very nature, fulfill his promises. So on the front of your bulletin, it says, uh, I don't remember what it says, something about his will, and then he has the power. What's it say? God has the power and will to fulfill his promises. So that's the end of this message. Now we'll get to this other message I really believe God wanted me to share with you this morning. I, have you ever been in a storm? We just had some stormy weather, which we haven't seen a lot of in the last few years, but as we've had some stormy weather... I, I noticed the other night, we just had that storm come through. It was kind of windy. At one point, it was downpouring. We were here having some meetings in the church, and I could hear it outside. And, but I'm going to that place where, yes, we saw that in the natural, but we also experienced that in the spiritual and in our lives. So where I really want to go with us this morning is I want us to pause for a minute and take a moment. I, I touched on this a few weeks ago. Let me... 
As I'm bouncing around, let me tell you how I got to where I'm at right now this morning. A few weeks ago, I talked about be cautious not to call yourself a Christian, but, but live a life in such a way where others would call you a Christian. Be a believer, be a disciple, and be a laborer. So as I was starting to consider that further, I thought, you know, I need, we need to camp there a little bit. We need, to, we need to talk this out a little bit more. Don't call yourself a Christian. That's for others to call you. Be a believer. Be a believer and then be a disciple. Now, where's the storm piece come in? The enemy uses storms of life to get you to doubt your belief. Do you understand that? That he will use the storms of life to get you to doubt what you believe. And and he does that because if he can keep you from believing, you'll never become a disciple and then you'll never become a laborer. And the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, right? So, So the enemy is at work when the storms come. God is good all the time. The devil is bad all the time. So God doesn't bring storms in our lives to correct us necessarily. We get corrected when we step outside of his will and we live that, okay? But my encouragement to you today is, do you believe? Test your belief. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? Do you believe when he died on the cross that sacrifice took care of all your sins? It's the basic gospel. It's the cross. Do you believe in the cross? Because I, let me go to this this verse. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So then I was like, okay, I'm going to call you Lord, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe, I believe. But it's in words, not in action. I mean, that's what God's saying here. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, do not t- and, and not do what I tell you? Well, what's that all mean when it comes to storms, and how do we tie all this together? This is the beginning of a parable that we've heard of before, and it says, let me go on and read in verse, we don't have this verse because I changed it five minutes ago. It says in verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. You want to know what this person's like? So before I read this, this will be familiar to you. Consider the storms of life that you're in. Consider what's going on in your life. And is this storm been brought on by the enemy To shake your belief? And then are you continuing to believe or are you being shaken? I will show you what he is like, he says. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not be and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I have grown up in church. 
nearly my entire life. And I have seen the floods come and the storms come and the streams break their banks and see all kinds of things happen in people's lives. And I don't see them here today. And my concern is this. We had our youth go this weekend. We've had experiences in our lives where the belief in us was so real. But then the storm came. The flood rose. And because we had some foundational issues in our walk with Him, we were washed out. I do not want to see our young people become washed out Christians. I want to see them on fire for God as believers, disciples, and laborers. I don't want to see you as a washed out Christian. I want to see you as a believer, a disciple, and a laborer doing all you can do for the Lord. And in the midst of the storm, you stand firm. We sat in this office as the storm was brewing outside. And guess what? We were doing business for the Lord. It was peaceful in the office. We were impacted by the storm. See, that's what it is with the Lord is when we are truly following Him, all our thoughts, all our actions are on Him. In the midst of the storm, you have this peace that surpasses all understanding. It's, it's those people that get singled out that people look at them and say, that's a Christian. Why, why do they say it? They don't say it because that you have everything together. They don't say it because you have no storms in your life. They say it because in the midst of the storm, you do not shake, you do not waver, you do not become a washed out, hypocritical Christian. That's what they're looking for. Because the truth is, there's a hurting world out there that truly needs to know Christ. And, but they're not sure. They're not sure that they need Christ. So I'm going to watch this Christian and see if what they have is real. I'm going to check it out for myself. They will watch. They will check it out. Now, the responsibility of being real isn't necessarily on you. It's on the Lord. It's on you to keep your eyes on Him. Will you be the example? See, He shares this with us, and, and then, then He goes out. This is, uh, this is found in the book of Luke. And I've told us that I want to get to the book of Acts, and we're going to get there probably in April. But Luke writes Acts, and so I like to look at what Luke is saying, because it's the same writer. And as we look at this, he talks about the different disciples, and, and I want to get to the disciples, but I still feel like I need to park on this point. Who's going through the storm right now? Who's been wavered in your faith? If you're not in a storm, you will be. That's life. But you don't have to be shaken. You don't have to be. How would you like to be that person that just says, bring it on? I got this. We got this, God, because on your own, you don't, but, you, but 
bring the storms on. We got this, God. It's not a biggie. Because nothing's too big for him. I, I mentioned last week, it was when he was in the, in the bow of the boat, sleeping peacefully in the midst of the storm. Why can he do that? Because it's his very nature to know that there is no storm that can take him out. There is no storm that when you're firmly set on the foundation of Christ that can take you out. Nothing can take you out. Now, our expectation might be that I'm going to have perfect health forever and ever and ever. That's not the taking out part I'm talking about. I'm talking that no storm can take you out of the place of spending eternity with Him if your foundation is firm. Now, how do you have this firm foundation? You have to build your house. and You have to dig deep. Oh, that's another. It says here, He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Wow, think about that. Where are you at? Have you built a house, but yet deep below your house, you have undealt with issues? Have you begun to experience, and I've seen this, we start living this Christian life and we start to understand that God loves us and His favor and blessings start coming into our lives. And, and so it's like, well, let's just go, we're going to do this, but we haven't dealt with everything. We still have some things that are in the closet. There's still some issues that are unresolved. But we continue to build the house. We continue to start living this life, and it does start off, we're believers, we're discipling ourselves, and now we're laboring. And then somewhere along the line, the house shakes a little bit, and it's like, whoo, where'd that come from? I thought we were more stable than this. Whoo, what was that again? Well, okay, I'm a Christian. Oops, I called myself Christ-like. So, oh, I'm a Christian, I got this. Have you been there? You started living your Christian life, and then the shaking started happening, and then who got this? I got this. I'm a Christian because I have a foundation, and I start proclaiming things that may or may not be true in my life because when God revealed, and he always will, revealed to me this little thing that I needed to deal with, it's like, God, but our favor, we're going. I don't need to deal with this, God. We're going. And we overlook the things in our lives that need to be dealt with. And then what happens is, that's a foundational piece in our life that was not set firm. And so when we're over here, and we feel the shaking, ego creeps in and says, no, I'm a Christian now, and I'm going to maintain. And then, be, then what happens is it gets ugly, it just gets weird. They dug this, he's talking about digging a foundation that goes deep, that means everything that this house is set upon is set firmly upon him. There's no undealt with issues. Now you might say, well, I don't know if I have undealt with issues. He will reveal it, and when he reveals it, deal with it. But we have to deal, we have to deal with those issues, and he can work them out in us, but we have to go deep. Oh, I... I, I see it in us sometimes. I see it in me where 
I start living this life, and then what's really messed up sometimes, even pastors do this, I think, a lot, is that we're a pastor, and because we're a pastor, our life is perfect. False. Wrong. Far from perfect. But then what happens is we try to carry a persona of such that's false. You know what? The world doesn't need any more fake people. It's full of them. What it needs is genuine believers that they can look at and say, that's a Christian. Yeah, it's messy at times, but look at the peace in their life. Man, I want what they got. But for that to happen, you have to be willing to evaluate. I think it's an all-the-time thing. I don't think it's a one-time thing. I think you always have to look at your foundation. I, have to, I think that you always, and there might be times of what I would call sabbatical. It might be time to take a break for a minute and meditate upon the Lord and not take a break from your, from your relationship with God, but take a break from the, maybe the ministry you're doing with the Lord and reevaluate your foundation because if it gets firmer and stronger, the greater the work that can be done. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. Jesus is our rock. So Jesus starts off, he's tell, talk, telling stories, parables. Parable is a story with a biblical truth, a spiritual truth in it. And, he's, and as he's doing this, people are starting to hear about him. He uh, happens across some fishermen cleaning their nets. And he calls out to them. Actually asked to borrow a guy's boat. And so he gets on the boat, they go out, and he starts talking to some people. But then he, he calls these disciples. It's James and John and Simon Peter. And he asks them to follow him. And he called them out, and not just to come follow me, and let's orchestrate this and work it all out, sell your boat, you know, hang up your nets, winterize them. Uh, he, it wasn't about that. He said, follow me, and they dropped everything and followed him. They had to leave behind their identity. We, we as Christians, we will accept the Lord, have that salvation experience, and then we, at times, if not careful, will return back to our old identity. He said, no, come and follow me. And there's another story later on where the guy said, well, let me go home and deal with some things. And he's like, you know, let the dead bury the dead. You know, I have, he had loved ones that had just passed away. And he's like, hey, come follow me. And, and it sounds almost kind of rude. It's like, well, we need to go mourn the dead and do all these things. They're dead. They're not going to miss you. And, and these people that are with them are mourning something that's gone. I have something that's new and fresh and before you. So if you want to go to the past, go to the past, or you could go to the future and live a life eternal with me. So, but that's what happened with these disciples is they dropped everything, their identity and their past, and they went on and followed him. They do ministry together. He selects 12 disciples. They were students. Uh, they, they called him rabbi because he was their teacher. 
Rabbi, is that the right word? Yes. And, and he was their teacher. He, he taught them. I, I, I don't believe they went and sat in a classroom. Yes, we have classes, and that's good. He did the teaching that I like. It's the hands-on stuff. I remember as a little boy that uh, my grandpa, uh, Adrian, my mom's dad, he, he was a handyman. He was always doing a lot of things with his hands. And he wasn't one that paid anybody to work on his vehicles. Back then, it was a lot easier to work on vehicles. But I remember as a young man, I was probably 10 years old, him showing me how to change the brakes on a car. And, and I, I just remember those things. Those, I loved that. That was good teaching. That was good learning. That's how these disciples were with, with the Lord, which is an interesting thing. Because in the midst of ministry, they were learning. It was, they didn't go to four years of Bible college or rabbi school or whatever you want to call it back then, and then they got a diploma and now you can go minister. No, they were walking hand in hand with him as he was doing ministry. They were supporting him in his ministry. And in the midst of supporting it, they were growing and learning and becoming these disciples. Eventually, he calls them apostles later on because of what they had learned and what they had grown and really because of the call in their life. So in verse, chapter 9, verse 1 of Luke, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now here's what was interesting to me as I read this. He gave them power and authority to go out and heal. Who did he give that to? The disciples. The Matthew, the Mark, the Luke, the John. The... So you start listing the, the 12 disciples. That's who he gave this power and authority to. Remember I challenged us and I said we need to become, we have to be believers, but then we also have to become disciples. So I want to be this disciple where God gives us the power and authority to go out and heal. Where he gives us the power and authority to go out and touch those that are hurting. And help them to speak life and light into their lives. Uh, we, and, and here's the thing. True disciples have that power and authority. Now, you might say, I'm not qualified. Well, when we think of the disciples, we really lift them up. Because of what they did after this time. The truth is they had been hanging with God for only about six months to a year. And they were fishermen. Now, here's what happened. I think this is how the qualifying comes into play. They left everything behind, the distractions, the identity, and focused their lives upon serving the Lord. So my challenge to you, young people, you went and encountered God this weekend. Who in here has had an encounter with God? That one where you just start sweating and getting goosebumps and it's just amazing. I used to think God's only talking to me if I get goosebumps. <laughs> Am I the only one that ever thought that? Daniel, come on. Okay. I know I'm not alone in this. But I've had those experiences. The thing that's awesome, you learn that it's always available to us. You just have to plug in. You can have more and more of those. They're not few and far between, unless you choose to have them few and far between. But youth, 
You had this awesome experience. Now it's time. You know, I watched them last night say, we want to go win our campuses for the Lord. That is a valid statement. There's great value in doing that. Now how? The how is relationship with God, foundational relationship with Him. And I don't want it to sound, oh, boring. No, it doesn't have to be boring. Whether I have a relationship when I'm 5 years old, 15 years old, 25, 55, 95, relationship is about communication with one another. It's about being in the presence of one another. To have relationship with God, whether I'm 15 or 95, is all about having conversation, having communication, and having time in each other's presence. That's what happened with the disciples in that six months to a year. They were in the presence of God's exact imprint in His Son, Jesus. So they spent all this awesome time with Jesus. They they had relationship. (laughs) They knew all the things behind the curtain. The things that they saw when He wasn't ministering. Did they... This is probably bad humor, but did they sit around after they were eating and just burp with one another? I mean... I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but they knew each other closely. That's what we have to do. If we truly want to be laborers, if we want to be true disciples, we have to be so close with the Lord that we dug our foundation deep and there's nothing hidden from Him. Because the truth is nothing can be. But we have to deal with it together. Otherwise, the storm because it will come, will shake this place, will shake your place, and you'll be washed out. And I don't want to see that happen to you. Because it's such a greater call that you each have. Do you understand that? Each of you have such a great call. The call is not just to be a Christian or be known as one. Well, it is to be known as one. But it's not just to check the box and say, I believe. I talk about checking the box all the time. You have a call. You have a purpose. He doesn't leave us out to dry. He called the twelve together. He sent them out and he gave them the power and authority to heal, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, cure diseases, it says. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, and he said to them, Take nothing for your journey. Oh, it's so hard. What's the foundational thing that we deal with all the time? Where do I think that Christians fail so often? Because we like to take all our old stuff on our journey. We fall short on trusting God to provide. You know, later on, he tells the disciples, go into these towns and minister and, and preach to them. And if, and if they reject you, if they hurt you, if they turn you away, as you leave the town, knock the dust off your feet and go to the next one. 
And what I really believe he's saying is whatever they did to you, you know what? Get over it. Don't take it with you. Leave the baggage behind, even the dust from your feet, and move on. How many times do we have to be told that our past does not define who we are? So our, ver- our actual value and our identity, when you boil it all down, is really found in Christ. The messy part is what we have to leave behind. We're to take none of that on our journey. And as he told the disciples, he knew, his very nature knew, they didn't need to take anything. And yeah, he's talking in the natural. Don't take you know, an extra, oh, I'll read it. It says, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two pieces of underwear, tunics they call them. Gross. And whatever house you enter... I'm sorry. And then it says, And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever they and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then Down to verse 10, it says, And on their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart, withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So so he does send us out to go and do, but he doesn't leave us out there just on our own. We have this opportunity. Earlier I said, Is there a time in your life? Maybe you're you're been busy. We'll call it ministry, but it's just been busy lately. It's been more of a job. We had some of this discussion recently with a group that when does ministry become a job? It's when, when you're getting to this place that Everett's getting a little noisy. I'm joking. Dad was gone all weekend, so he's fussy. But I lost my place. Thank you, Everett. Um, what was I saying? That was like, have you ever seen that squirrel? Yeah, that was what that was. What's that? Oh, ministry is a job. You know, I've seen, I've, yes, I've seen Christians get washed out, and I've seen ministers get washed out. I, I still think the washing out came because when God revealed to any of us that there's something to be dealt with foundationally, pride or something kept us from dealing with it. And then when the storm came, we couldn't stand any longer. And, and when you find you're in a place where you're feeling weary in the midst of ministry, or we'll call it busyness, I, I'm going to encourage you to retreat back to the Lord. See, they went out and they did their ministry, but then they came back to report. You need to retreat back to the Lord. Come back and report to the Lord. These are the things, God, that I've been going through. And, and what they got to do is they got to retreat into the background a little bit as he then went and preached to these masses of people that were hungry. Because <laughs> it's the very next thing that happens is when he feeds the 5,000. And their job at that point was just to serve the Lord, not to go out and do frontline ministry. So in our walk, believers... This is my encouragement to you today. I want you to take these moments over the next next week. I want to.
promote this a little bit. Next service, so next Sunday service, we're going to have a, a guest coming in to do kind of a concert and ministry time for us. I want you all here, and then everybody that's not here right now to be here too. We'll bring more chairs in if we have to. Because what I want you to do is come and just soak in it and be ministered to. I believe that it, what, that's what it was like for the disciples. They would go out and they'd minister, they would work and work and work, and then they were able to come back and just be in the presence of Jesus. <sighs> Yesterday we had a meeting and I don't want to sound bizarre, but we had this meeting, and beforehand we started with some time of worship, and, and I came and I just sat on the floor right in front of the cross, because it hasn't been in here in a while. Thank you for bringing it back in. <laughs> I love the cross. But I just sat there and imagining myself worshiping at the feet of Jesus as He hung on that cross. Sometimes these, these imagination or these pictures in our heads uh, really help me get to a place of true... I saw a picture on Facebook this morning. And it was the director in the movie Passion, was it, what's his name? Mel Gibson, was sitting next to the actor who played Jesus, and they were having a discussion, but it was a meme. And, and the meme, basically, I'm summarizing because I can't remember the verbiage, but it was, you know, this is what it looks like sometimes when we're telling Jesus our problems. And here is the actor playing Jesus, just you can't recognize him because he's covered in blood. We'll sit there sometimes at the feet of Jesus telling them about our, our issues, our storm. But the, the visual is, that was all taken care of. I mean, as he hung on the cross, and, we're, and I'm laying here thinking about any issues I may have in life, there are no issues, Doug. I'm taking care of all the issues is what Jesus is saying. They don't exist anymore. Set your eyes on me. We've got work to do. If the worship team could come. As they're coming, there was a time and Later on in Luke chapter 9, it's, it talks about this transfiguration. There's a time that Jesus and three close disciples, they go to the mountain. And as they're at this mountain, two men were talking. Uh, let me, I'll just read it. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him, so he took the three, Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothes became dazzling white. I keep talking about if, if, if I had a time machine and could go back to a place in time, I would too love to have been there. Praying with Jesus and to see his face turn and his clothes become dazzling white. See, if, when you experience things like that, the disciples never were worried about whether or not they believed. How do you not believe when you see that? And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about the fact that Jesus is going to die for us, for you. 
Moses and Elijah and Jesus were standing on that mountain talking about you. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy and with sleep. Because anytime big things happen in Jesus' life, the disciples fell asleep for some reason. Anyhow, it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we were here. Let us make three tents for one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So this is all going on. This cloud comes. Imagine being there. So, I'm sure they got, as it says, they were a little afraid. But this next verse is really what I'm trying to get to. Believers, hear this. Because it's time for us, New Testament church, to just no longer be known as believers. We have to commit to being true, full-on disciples for Christ. This cloud in, just encompasses them. They're in the midst of a cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son. This is my son. My chosen one. That was in the midst of that conversation he was having about you. Jesus And Elijah and Moses are talking about you. And right after they get done talking about you. And the fact that he is going to go hang on the cross for you. Then God comes upon the scene and says, this is my son. My chosen one. Listen to him. Church. We have to listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Listening goes beyond just hearing. Listening goes completely to what he says we must do. Young people, you went this weekend, you got stirred up in Christ, that's a good thing. That's an awesome thing. But now you have to listen to him. Because if you will listen to him, he'll direct you what to do. He's put people in your lives that's going to help direct you and give you advice. Elders and and teachers and pastors and family members. God will use them to speak to you. Listen to them. That's true for all of us. What is God saying to you? Stop just hearing. And start listening. This is, uh, this is a point in time that I really feel God is leading. And I'm, I'm asking you to risk everything right now. That's what the disciples had to do. They had to leave behind everything. And then even go out and do without their own self-provision. God was going to take care of them, and he did. 
But where are you at in your belief? Are you believing in Jesus or are you believing Jesus? To what Dina had said. See, there's been times in my life that, yes, I did have that salvation experience, but there was other times in my life where I had just to recommit and say, okay, God, yeah, I've been wishy-washy, but now it's time for me to just, I'm going deep with you, God. If that's you this morning, you have to do something. Not just hear what I said, but now listen, and I need you to come forward and say, okay, I'm all in. Lord, I, as I said a few weeks ago, you're going to lean into Jesus. And without provision, without your past identity, you're going to dig deep. And you're going to risk everything and believe him. If that's you, I would ask you to come forward this morning. Will you commit? Will you do that? All in for Jesus. No more wishy-washy. You're now stepping into being a disciple.